everyone welcome to another episode of new age life podcast i'm your host garima and today we have uh, jerry fu hi everybody hi how are you i'm great how about yourself i'm fine so jerry can you tell the audience about yourself certainly um from a personal standpoint I uh I play piano and guitar in my free time and uh, wow. I like to not at the same time though. I like to cook. <laughs> um I like to travel. I like to experience new cultures. I like to try new restaurants. So Houston, where I'm based out of, has a lot of great cultures and you know, you can try just find any kind of food you want. So that's mm. been great. Mm. Um I love salsa dancing and uh, I help out <laughs> I help out with a, a, a local club here as a volunteer instructor and so I've met a lot of great people through salsa dancing. Wow. And uh, yeah, um otherwise I am splitting time right now among my day job as a pharmacist, my side mm. job building up my coaching business, mm. uh the girlfriend that I managed to meet during COVID and then yeah, just otherwise uh yeah, just reading books and catching up on sleep when I have a chance and whatever spare time I have left. So that is what my life currently looks like. So you are a musician and a dancer and a pharmacist and a life coach. Yeah, yeah, I wear many hats. And these are completely different, you know, uh uh fields, you know. Yeah. From yeah, they each art, have their Go Yeah, ahead. from art to you know dancing and then pharmacy is like in the science field you know and then yeah. being a life coach so how do you juggle all, all these different you know yeah yeah it's a great question yeah it's a great question part of it is prioritizing right you know um if you only have a certain amount of energy and time each day you have to ask yourself you know what is the most important thing uh, i should direct my things to and my efforts toward and It's easy to get caught up in the urgent, right? Like if I say, "Oh, I need to vacuum my room right now." It's like, "Okay, I've all right. Well, do I need to really vacuum my room right now or am I just avoiding things?" And I love there is just uh, to embrace the times where those areas do overlap, right? For example, uh we like to, my dancer friends and I like to um, you know, teach lessons to help raise money and awareness for charitable causes and nonprofits that we care about. And So in doing so, right, maybe that leads to some networking opportunities that may lead to coaching opportunities down the road. Hmm. And so this is this is beautiful mix of hey, leverage every area of my life to really network well and build solid relationships whether they become, you know, good friends personally or fellow entrepreneurs or even in pharmacy, right? Um I've I've met plenty of students that want help with their career paths and uh to in order to better prepare for a very saturated field. So um yeah, part of it is trying to prioritize, hey, what do I need to be doing today? And also at the same time, hey, what do I enjoy about each area of my life and um what do I really need to focus on? Because you as you can tell, right? There's plenty of great things and opportunities and activities out there and to really learn when to say no and to realize what you're actually saying no to. is a big part of self-care and making sure that you are actually available and present and have enough energy to take care of the the most important people around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh you did you study pharmacy? 
I did. Um, I actually came into college uh, with the idea of being pre-med, much like many Asians, uh, you know, many Asian parents hope that their kids become physicians, right? And I learned quickly that you can't just say, I guess I'll be a doctor, because that doesn't work. Like, if you don't have a very compelling reason to become a doctor and practice as a doctor, Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you're you're not going to last very long um you know i for example my my best friend from high school is great with kids has a heart for kids and uh, he is a very successful pediatrician right now he has a very um, dynamic and growing practice and, that was great you know, yeah and so yeah he knew from an early age that he, he wanted to do this and uh, it's great to see him live out his passion Yeah, I, I know a lot of, especially like as you said, Asian parents, they want their children to go into medicine or engineering, you know? Yeah. 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 Even I tried medicine, <laughs> but I couldn't make it. Then I changed into science, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That, that's okay, right? I mean, too often. Right. I mean, I'll tell people, yeah, I got to see an organic chemistry. And I said, oh, no, I guess I'm not going to be a physician. Right. And I didn't want to admit that. I didn't want to admit that I didn't have the drive. I didn't want to admit that I let myself experience this kind of failure. I didn't want to own up to my decisions in this place. And at the same time, right, you can respond one of two ways, right? Either you fight harder because you feel like I still want to be a doctor and mm-hmm. I just kind of lost my discipline in the process because I've met people. I remember meeting a guy who didn't get into med school until his third attempt. That's a long time to wait, but he was dead set on becoming a doctor. For mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I had to be honest with myself and say, well, I like the idea of being a doctor more than actually you know, pursuing med school and doing the work of becoming a doctor. But I still wanted to do healthcare, so well, you know, what else can I do? And so, mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, pharmacy was still available, and I convinced the pharmacy school that I would make a good pharmacist, and so I finished that degree. So uh, then, how did you go to be a life coach? Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy transition, right? <laughs> <'Cause people laughs> say, how did you go from point A to point B? I really don't see the connection. So this is uh, this is the story, you know, that people want to hear. How did you go from this? And so uh, the story begins like this. And I, when I finished pharmacy school, my mom insisted that I get a job with a chain pharmacy because she said, your dad struggled to find gainful employment despite having two master's degrees, and I don't want you to go through the same suffering. So this company is very stable, it's very strong, you know, a friend of us works for him, I believe in, in, in what he tells me. So even though she herself has never worked a day in her life in pharmacy, she felt like, <laughs> you know, she's the expert, so I have to listen to her. And I was at a point in my, you know, aversion to conflict, right, I, I just was like, I'm just too tired to fight her uh, and, you know, disagree with her, so let me just go along with her recommendation. And, um, you know, at one point I actually got very comfortable. Uh, with the job. Uh, initially, I wasn't happy. I ended up at a job where I had enough flexible scheduling to say, hey, you know what? This isn't so bad. You know, the salary is nice. The hours are, are decent and I'm able to do what I want off the clock. So I'm going to make this work. And then once that went away, once I transferred back to a different store, uh, I became unhappy again. I said, okay, no, I, I, I can't afford to stay at this job any longer because it doesn't matter what kind of benefits they offer me, what kind of stability my mom says is good for me. As long as my quality of life is not where I want it to be, I'm not going to be happy working for this job. Uh, it's that classic deferred life plan that so many people subscribe to, right? Well, you know, one day, hopefully if I bank enough money and I don't have too many unfortunate 
financial setbacks that finally when I'm in my 50s or 60s and that's hoping I have my health that I'm going to finally be able to do what I want and I didn't like that idea any longer and so um, I wanted to get into teaching pharmacy students um, I didn't have a conventional PhD or residency so I said well what else can I do and so a friend of mine who worked for a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston uh, said hey my my previous position, my previous teaching position is open now that I got promoted and I know you want to get into teaching, would you be interested in applying? And I said, absolutely. So I applied for this job. I walked away from a full-time job with benefits to take on a part-time job uh, teaching students. And hopefully uh, this would be the last company I ever had to work for. And um, I said, you know, I'm excited. I know how jealous all my friends were that I got the best <laughs> average job at this company. And I said, hopefully this is it. And 11 months later, I got fired. And, oh my you know, God. that was, uh, no, it was, you know, it was my fault. I tell people, I said, look, I, in, in the same way, I like the idea of being a doctor more than actually doing the work of becoming a doctor. I like the idea of being an instructor more than actually becoming an instructor. And I also learned quickly that I couldn't just get away with being better than 70% of the workforce because that's mm -hmm. what chain pharmacy allowed to do. As long as I, even if I messed up, even if I made some mistakes, like as long as I was better than 70%, my boss wasn't going to really be that upset with me. But now mm -hmm. that I was working for a much smaller company that has to hold everyone accountable, not to, not to a standard now that's not just relative to other people. It is the standard for this specific position. And um, after 11 months, they said, nope, we've had enough. We gave you more than enough chances to improve yourself and get the job done. And all you want to do is give us stories as to why you shouldn't have to work so hard. And um, that was a really, really sobering moment too. I tell people now it was one of the best things that ever happened to me simply because, you know, forced me to grow up. Um, you know, and that was hard to appreciate at the time, but, you know, with the gift of hindsight, I was able to uh, really appreciate, even though we don't send each other Christmas cards anymore, even though I don't really <laughs> talk to anyone at the company, um, I can appreciate that, you know, getting fired can be the most loving thing that can happen to somebody because it shows you, hey, whatever you're doing, it's not working or it's not mm -hmm. good enough here. So you can either say to yourself, hey, well, they just didn't appreciate me and this was unfair, which might be true, but it's not useful. But if you decide to say, hey, you know what, there's something here I can learn from and improve myself through, okay, now now we're onto something more mature and more useful, right? Um, and so that, honestly, that was the that was the start, but things got worse before they got better, honestly. You know? <laughs> I, uh, the next stage of my career ended up, ended up where after six months, or so not six months, six weeks of looking for a job, I finally got one, but it was with a company where four of my paychecks bounced uh, as I filled mm -hmm. for crooked doctors. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. I was just caught in a really bad cycle, right? On one hand, I wasn't getting paid. And the mm -hmm. only way I could get paid is if I jeopardized my license only for these scripts because then the times my bosses did pay me is only because, you know, we filled uh, prescriptions for, for doctors that were not ready for legitimate medical needs. And so in my conflict aversion, right, I, uh, I struggled to confront my boss, right? Even though he clearly was ripping me off, I didn't know how to bring this up without, you know, possibly antagonizing him, right? He might just say, oh, too bad. I'm just not going to pay you, you know, or he's going to lie about not being able to pay me. And I just would just keep working. And, you know, my friends told me, hey, you know, this is unacceptable. Like, you shouldn't um, have to worry about whether or not your checks are clearing. Like, this is not an acceptable standard. Like, if you, he's not paying you, you need to leave. Um, and so again, just struggled to have these hard conversations and then finally got out of that job. My friends got me on with another company uh, and they said, well, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, <laughs> well, you know, that's, 
yeah, that's not good news. But at least I know what I need to. At least I know I need to take action. And so I said, well, what do I do? And they said, well, you can get more hours if you cover out a store out in Austin, which is about two and a half hours away from Houston. Perfectly great city, but just wasn't home. Um, I realized I could end up in a lot worse places where I didn't have connections and I didn't have you know, the network to help me out. But again, it was just something where I, I had no idea what my life was going to look like at this point. And so uh, that was summer. That was the summer that you know something great happened, though uh, specifically yeah. helpful. Uh, in that this is 2012 now, I was asked to help out with some leadership seminars through a pharmacy leadership nonprofit that my friends run. And so they said, well, we know you've been facilitating workshops on the fraternity side, and now we have a spot open for our leadership meeting uh, at a national level. We need some help, so can you help? I said, absolutely. And so teaching leadership uh, unlocked something in my mind because before I said, wow, failure is bad. It's embarrassing. I don't like failing. Uh, I don't want to look incompetent, so I'm just going to avoid leadership challenges altogether. It's just not worth the headache. But now, after seeing leadership modeled for me and then teaching it for students, I had to ask myself, well, what if I could be a good leader? Uh, what if, what would what would this involve? What kind of work would it involve? How would I carry myself? And so that later that year, I had the chance to either stay part-time in Austin, which was a great work team, um, or I could take on a full-time manager position that opened up in Houston. And so I said, I can't stay safe. I can't stay scared. I'm going to take on this leadership challenge and I'm ready to come home. So I'm going to move back home and take on this leadership challenge. And next year I proceeded to get written up because I was not holding my technicians uh, to a higher standard. They were underperforming. They had bad, some of them had bad attitudes and they were you know, spoiling the atmosphere for the work environment. Um, but again, I just had this misguided view of grace where I said, well, you know, it's just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let them be and just trust that eventually they're going to realize the consequences of their own actions. They're going to come around. Did not happen. Um, and so, yeah, my management said, Hey, you know, this is a problem. Like the technician is underperforming. This is a problem. And your unwillingness to discipline them or fire them uh, is also a problem. So we're going to have to write you up too. And that was really humbling. Again, it just, you know, more challenges I wasn't willing to meet. Uh, because I, I didn't like difficult conversations. Um, that company had their funding pulled. And so now I'm really scrambling because I was already looking to leave. So I wasn't necessarily that sad, but I, I knew my situation had become more urgent trying to find another job. And so the funny thing is, is that the only reason I got an interview at the next opportunity was that I had leadership experience on my resume now. And I said, wow, that was a really good decision that I decided to take on this challenge because now it's opening more doors for me. The thing with pharmacy jobs, though, is that the ones that offer a good quality of life don't last, typically don't last very long because they don't stand up well against insurance companies and other ruthless aspects of healthcare. And so uh, what I tell people is that these jobs are like icebergs. I have more icebergs to hop to, but <laughs> if they're going to melt after one or two years, then I'm still in the same position I was previously. And so four years ago, when my previous employer went under for insurance reasons, I said, well, you know, I'm tired of fighting insurances. I'm tired of begging doctors for scripts. But I love teaching the leadership workshops, which I've consistently uh, done since 2012. So what would uh, a career in coaching look like? Um, you know, what would that involve? What kind of work would that involve? And so. Again, still very scared of rejection, still very scared of failure. So, you know, some friends were kind enough to hire me 
um, because they knew I was pretty good at this. I'd gotten to a point where I was good at leading workshops and such, but I still wasn't willing to open up my own business. And it took a pandemic, you know, it took a pandemic where I finally said, you know, what's it, you know, how much longer can I afford to wait and put this off, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the middle of the pandemic said, oh, yeah, let me file the LLC, let me get the website up, do all that. And so um, it's still try, struggle, fail, right? It's, uh, you know, trying to get clients, uh, is a challenge, right? Mm, I need to mm. learn how to market myself. I need to, you know, figure out which hat I need to wear today, whether it's work on the business or in the business. Um, I do some private tutoring to help stabilize cash flow because that's, you know, one of my early adopters as I eventually build out business to scale up and things like that. So that is the journey that it took from becoming a farm from starting as a pharmacist to becoming a leadership coach or a life coach you know whether you deal with leadership issues or life issues really uh the two overlap a lot actually and so um you know yeah i still have a day job as a pharmacist and grateful for my bosses grateful to be able to pay my bills up until i get my coaching business you know to transition full time and so yeah that is the mark because honestly uh, my day job still actually serves as my leadership lab, right? If I am not living out these leadership principles and life principles, you know, how am I supposed to consult somebody else? How, who would take me seriously as a coach unless I showed at an area of my life showing, hey, like he tries, struggles and fails and applies these things just as much as the next person. Um, so that is the blessing there where I can look to see, well, you know, all these books I'm reading, all these things I'm doing, it doesn't matter until I try it out on my team and see if they respond well, right? Um, so yeah, that, to, that's the long answer, right? It took 16 years <laughs> uh, to get to a point where I had to say, hey, you know what? I'm serious about doing this for real. So here we are. Wow. That's <laughs> 16 years is a long time, you know? Yeah, and, and it flies uh, by. <laughs> yeah. And even after all the failures and disappointments, you still, you know, uh, pushed on, you know, moving forward. And uh, it's something very inspiring. Especially, especially because of the pandemic, there a lot of people have come up as uh, as life coaches. You know, the pandemic changed everything, and people stuck at home. So a lot of people went on to do the you know the training as life coaches and tried to help other people from all over the world. You know. Yeah, it's uh. The blessing with technology is that now you have a global reach that you you know to connect people that wouldn't otherwise connect like you and i right we wouldn't have connected if it weren't for a solid internet connection and you know uh me looking to be on podcasts and you having a podcast right and uh yeah it's like you said uh, normally we have to um, you know, settle for who's in the room or maybe who's on the building or, or, you know, locally on the street. But now, right, you can get clients anywhere. You can connect with people anywhere. Um, at one point, I had a book discussion and an Australian lady uh, found about it. And, you know, despite the time zone difference, you know, registered to participate. So, you know, that's always, it's great to have stories like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So, uh, what type of clients have you had so far? Yeah, great question. Um, some of my individual clients uh, involve Asian Americans. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my clients, you know, works in insurance. Uh, his parents are from China. Another is uh, she's 
she's uh, you know she's Vietnamese and uh, you know she she has an Asian background as well. And then my current client, I actually met through a mentoring program through my alma mater. So she's an undergraduate student. Uh, parents also from China, uh, but I also have you know uh, team clients where. Uh, I lead a book discussion for a pharmacy leadership society, so that's been fun. And then I also help out with some pharmacy student chapters in my fraternity where they deal with, you know, integrity or conflict issues or broken promises or, you know, culture of apathy where they need to, you know, figure out how do we motivate people to really commit to, our, you know, the values and the vision for, for our chapter. So those are the kind of clients that I've had so far. Okay. and. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, uh, what type of feedback have you received from your clients? Any positive or, you know, negative or how? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the most positive things, I'll, I'll give some examples of some of the breakthroughs some of the clients had, right? Um, you know, one client struggled with, you know, trying to uh, align his priorities, you know, or prioritize well because um, you know he he didn't like his job at the time applied to another company that had a better company culture but had to leave you know the city he left he had to relocate to another city where he had no friends or family or anyone else he kind of had to start brand new and so even though his career improved right because he took on this job with this company um, he was still struggling to really find a sense of community and so other job opportunities closer to home would come up, but they weren't in line with his ultimate career goals. And so, you know, he had to sort out, well, what is the most important thing right now, right? Do I want to go back to a city where I can be closer to family, even though I know I wouldn't like my job? Or do I stick with this, you know, job a little longer, even though I don't have any real community here? And, you know, there's no good answer for that. And I, I deliberately told him, I said, look, I'm not here to make this decision for you. And thankfully, you know, he was willing to own up to that. And I mean, it, even if I had the chance to make the decision for him, like that would be the wrong thing to do because no, you know, no. it's his decision. And even better is that, you know, even after he got this job, right, the company was still cutting people, you know, if money was tight, they still had to lay people off. And, you know, uh, the turning point for him also was when he went to his boss and said, okay, boss, you know, what skills or opportunities does this company have? Like what skills do I need to develop to help continue to solve these companies? problems and meet their daily challenges and he really you know did a good job saving his own career in that regard right because he realized he didn't want to just wait and hope that somehow he survived the round of cuts he realized he could do the work in order to uh, stay ahead of the curve in that regard right um, and I, I wish more people would realize that hey you have a you have a hand in, in the chart of your career um, as long as you're willing to take action uh, you know the other client that I've had that I love you know helping was uh, at one point she worked for a very temperamental boss and um, even though she would try to ask hey how am I doing and he said oh you know things are okay but he wouldn't be specific about what that criteria was in order to really say you're doing a good job at one point he tried calling her after hours uh, she didn't pick up because you know she's not on the clock and the next day he blew up at her Say, I don't think you're committed to this job, you know, da, da, da. I just basically said a lot of hurtful things. You know, she calls me and she's like, you know, how do I deal with this guy? Like, I'm upset with him and, but I don't want to get fired because, you know, I, I push back too hard. And so we navigated the conversation of, you know, how does this, what do I need to say? How do I need to say it? Um, and thankfully, you know, she 
managed to kind of help temper expectations and restore things to a tolerable level, even though she knew uh, this was not a long-term job for her. This is not a long-term career choice for her. Uh, And so these are the kind of stories. Um, If there's any feedback that, uh, you know, they give me to improve my ability as a coach, it's to respect their boundaries, right? Like don't feed them the solution. Um, at the, at the same time, um, you know, have some framework in mind for things that they, um, that they may not have considered for themselves. Because at one point, you know, one client told me, Hey, I don't know what I don't know. Uh, and so to simply ask me to, um, dictate the agenda each time, uh, at some point I'm going to run out of things. And you know, that, that, that could be taken one of two ways. Either one, they've gotten strong enough to the point where they don't need my help. Or honest, or they honestly are looking to say, "Hey, look, there's only so much success I can experience if, I, unless I, because if I haven't seen it firsthand, if I haven't experienced exposed to anything new, you know, firsthand, I'm not going to be able to imagine possibilities outside what I'm already familiar with." So, um, yeah, to be willing to say, hey, "Okay, you know, like maybe we start off and you tell me exactly what urgent things are coming up, and then at some point, you know, I'll introduce some new things." And you can decide which ones interest you and which ones you want to invest in. Otherwise, if you feel like you're strong enough, you know, we can stop. Because honestly, I tell people, if I've been coaching you for two years, fire me. Because clearly you haven't gotten better with my help. Like, <laughs> this isn't about getting more money from them, right? That would be selfish. Because I know doctors like this. They say, oh, well, you know, patients don't come back. We can't get insurance money from their <laughs> visits. So, you know, we don't want them to get yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. And that's sad, right? Because yeah. now you're more concerned about your bottom line and actually getting the better when the better way is to actually get them so healthy that they say, hey, you know, Jerry, after six months of working with Jerry, I, to, I got to a point where I'm strong enough to you know, ask for the promotion, get the raise. Yeah, you should work with Jerry because of the way he helped me move forward. You know, I don't, you only need six months with them in order to start seeing results, right? That would be a much better testimony as opposed to just getting 10 people like, quote, addicted to, you know, whatever services, but not actually getting better, right? I'm no better than a, an illegal drug dealer, right? That's, that's, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot, there are a lot of doctors who, who will like intentionally not, uh, totally cure the patient because they will want the person to come back over and over again yeah. and the patient already he's sick then psychologically also you will be disturbed you know mm-hmm. but it's so yeah. unfortunate that most doctors you know that's how because for them it's a business it's it not is. about you know curing people it's about making money you know yeah, yeah. yeah. that's unfortunate money is secondary to the value you provide um, and yeah, there is a there is a right way to ask for that. Uh, there is a right way for people to honor that. And you know, yeah, be transparent about what you charge. You know, don't don't feel like you have to hide that. And at the same time, uh, understand, hey, uh, if you're generous, people will probably take you up on things. Right. But if you're if you're strictly about the money, um, you know, people are going to question your integrity for sure. So, you know, the pandemic has changed everything, you know, people's lives have, you know, like everything has gone upside down, even up till now. A lot of people are getting sick, going to the hospital, being frustrated and, you know, uh, how has that changed things for you? Yeah, I mean, I I went through my own phases of, of struggle and 
I remember when I was specifically, I found myself just at a breaking point and I can, mm. I can unpack all that. Uh, the first, you know, part that really hit me was when the pandemic shut down Houston, basically. Um, mm, and yeah. I say that because normally Houston has a rodeo. Uh, they host a rodeo every year around, you know, mid-February, goes through mid-March. And so early February or late February, things were still normal, even as we were seeing stories, even as people started wearing masks. And then uh, everything just shut down. The rodeo got shut down. The roads got shut down. All these businesses considered non-essential got shut down. And all of a sudden, we didn't know what to expect. I couldn't go to the gym. The grocery store lines were all completely long. Um, no one knew what was happening. And so all, a lot of things that I love to do, right? Like I mentioned salsa dancing earlier, like trying new restaurants, all these things were no longer available to me. So mm-hmm. all these things, mm-hmm. you know, going to church and seeing people in my church community that I, you know, I, I leaned down for support, right? Like uh, that all went virtual. So even though we had technology to kind of supplement and, and kind of compensate for not being able to meet a person, it still wasn't like, it's, it's not meant as a substitute, right? Um, and so that was hard because you know, even though it was nice to kind of sit around and, and catch up on books that I've been meaning to read, um, you know, all these things that I was relying on, like going to the gym and working out, those things were no longer available. And even worse, you know, my work, I had to still come in person because my pharmacy work doesn't allow for remote um, mm-hmm. like options. And so at one point my team got affected with COVID as well. And so, I, you know, I was down to like me and my lead technician and we were just doing our best not to get our butts kicked every day with whatever mm. work we were still getting because two people is not enough to handle everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so yeah so between work being difficult and stressful and then not having any kind of social outlets um you know to enjoy myself and, and the routine i usually use to kind of recharge you know it, it was hard i remember just you know going home after a day's work and not being able to do much else aside from watch Netflix. And even even Netflix wasn't available to us because so many people were streaming <laughs> Netflix that our connection was was delayed. So we can't even watch TV. And it's like, what am I what am I left with? Right. And it wasn't until, you know, like one of the studio, one of the dance studios decided to start to reopen socials under very tight scrutiny where I said, you know what, I need this. And people, you know, I had other dancer friends that disagree with my decision. And I said, I'm not being a role model. This is just the level of risk I'm willing to take because the emotional connection is worth the risk. You know, I'll do my part to be responsible. I'll still wear a mask when I dance. I'll do hand sanitizer. And, you know, for now, this is enough for me. I'm not going to here to justify it. I'm just here to, I'm just telling you, this is my choice. Right? Yeah. Um, it's not for everybody. I mean, there are bigger dance conventions that came to play. Like these socials would involve maybe 50 people at most, but there were bigger dance conventions that came to Houston and they didn't mask, they didn't ask for vaccine cards. And I said, nope, that's not, now that's not a risk I'm willing to take. And I'm, as hard as it is for me to feel like I'm missing out on a big dance convention because I, I love being around other dancers, uh, that is not worth the risk. So um, yeah, you know, it was a combination of that on top of the fact that I happened to be in the middle of my coach training program when COVID hit. So all these in-person meetings all of a sudden went virtual. And on top of that, they encouraged journaling every day. They encouraged meditation every day. And plus I was bartering 
uh, with other coaching students to get hours so I could get certified. And so inadvertently, I built a community up where we would have to coach each other through the pandemic. And honestly, if it weren't for those conversations, I don't know where I'd be right now because those conversations over Zoom reminded me, hey, you are not alone in this. Um, you have people that are suffering alongside you. You have people that are, are supporting you as you are supporting them. And uh, yeah, so between journaling and meditation and a resilient community, uh, those are the main things that carried me through the pandemic. And even now, um, it is still really discouraging because, you know, we have Delta variants and uh, we have, I have a friend who's an infectious disease doctor. She's seen breakthrough infections, you know, on a regular basis. And mm -hmm. we're overloaded here in Houston uh, with, with COVID, even as numbers have kind of gone down, but, or at least number of new cases. But the fact that there's still new cases still shows us, you know, this is the problem, right? Don't read too much into that. Like, as long as there are new cases of COVID, like, this is a problem. And mm -hmm. yeah, the fact mm -hmm. that people are not willing to do more to really, um, eradicate the pandemic right they seem to be content to coexist with it um you know it just complicates life for everybody yeah it's really unfortunate um this and despite the vaccine um, there are other issues now people are refusing to take vaccine people are refusing to go to the offices you know so there's a lot of uh, problems new problems coming up every day you know yep. Yep. It's like life is getting harder and harder every day. Yeah, you know, life was already hard before the pandemic, I think. Like, people don't want to admit as, as you get up in age that there's a lot of life stress you don't want to admit that you have to deal with, whether it's health issues or, you know, your parents getting older or dealing with mortality or, you know, certain things that didn't work out in life the way you thought they would, right? Just realizing, hey, maybe my, as much as I like my childhood dreams, I've realized that they're not working. Or even if you get the success you want and you realize you're still not happy or satisfied, you know, that was what a lot of Asian friends are dealing with right now. They said, you know, I, I, I finished med school, I got married, I have kids, you know, my parents told me this is the good life. But now I still have to work another 20 years, you know, with this career I have to take care of a spouse i have kids to raise which is you know another 20 years investment on top of figuring out how am i going to pay for their tuition right for the, if i want them to go to a good college and you realize you've just transitioned yourself from, from one set of challenges to another and now you know uh to be willing to admit that what made you happy in your 20s may not be true in your 30s and then to look at what success was in your 30s and to realize in your 40s and you say oh my goodness that was obsolete um and to be able to admit hey what works for me now may not work five years from now um, how do i prepare for that and you realize that yeah uh, life design is an iterative process and you know it's an, as, as the designing your life authors say you know life is an infinite game with no winners or losers instead of a finite game with winners or losers, right? Like I have more money, therefore I am okay, right? I have more autonomy, therefore I am okay. Um, and I have to remind myself not to get on that treadmill anymore and to be able to be willing to chart my own course. Um, but yeah, as you said, right, the, the pandemic, um, it's just, I mean, the blessing, right? It's just made people evaluate what's really important. You know? And, you know, the irony is that even as people struggle to find employment, they realize they don't want to settle for menial jobs. They don't want to settle for jobs that are so far. You know, husband and you have a wife and kids 
and then eat food on the table. Yeah, maybe you take what's available to you now and you have to, you know, put aside your own comfort and your own preferences to make sure that you can pay your immediate bills. But hopefully you've taken time to think about the long game and say, well, you know, what kind of job would, could I design for myself or what job is out there I could really look for that would, I would be more excited about working, right? Because uh, I have to remind myself that every day. Um, you know, how much longer do I want to work at a job that's just going to get me by? Is it good enough for now? Yeah. But how much longer do I want to do it? Yeah, I mean, we have to change our ways of thinking and ways of lifestyle, especially after everything that is happening. And it is still like affecting the whole world, even up to now. So people are waiting for you know maybe they are saying it can take one or two years longer or more you never know you know yeah 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 that's yeah. uh it's an ongoing game for sure and the sooner people stop running from challenges and start running toward challenges and toward the difficult things um you know i think i tell people in, in conflict avoidance isn't going to solve it you can rationalize all you want but um, as long as you're not willing to do something about it, don't expect it to get better on its own. You could try, you could wait, but if it hasn't resolved itself, and fires don't usually get, don't go out on their own, right? Um, you need to take care of it. You need to do your part to handle it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if, uh, <clears throat> if anyone wants to contact you for your coaching services, how can you be contacted? Yeah, yeah, uh, two ways. One is to connect with me on LinkedIn and just message me there and we can talk. Uh, the easier way is to get on adaptingleaders.com. Again, okay. that website is www.adaptingleaders.com. And uh, I got a couple of free things for you there. Uh, you can get a free download on a framework to handle difficult conversations. Uh-huh. And uh, uh-huh. you can also schedule a complimentary 30 minute call if you just want to share your story or need help working through a situation, no strings attached. And there's also a free blog where I summarize and give takeaways of, of interesting and useful leadership books and other, other life tips. So uh, check out the website. If you want a formal coaching package, feel free to check it out as well. Maybe, you know, I have the prices there, so I'm not hiding anything, right? Transparency <laughs> in the full. I don't want to just lure you in and then bam, you know, $500. And you're like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't, because I wouldn't want that to happen to me. So that's yeah. why I want to, you know, not everyone posts their prices on their website. And I understand that if people want to price comp or whatever, that's fine. Um, mm, mm, but for me, I, in the same way, I want transparency for when someone's trying to get me, wants to explore the idea of working with them. Uh, same mm. thing for me, right? I'm not here to push anyone. Look, if you think my help is worth investing in, great. If not, hey, there's still plenty of free things that you can use to chart your own course. And even just then, just schedule a time with me. I'll tell you what books I've read to help me. You can read mm. them yourself and uh, see what happens. Okay. So it was very nice chatting with you, Jerry. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, if you don't mind me asking this, your name, sure. Jerry, is like, you know, <laughs> is this your real name? Because, you yep, know, that's, on, that's have... on the birth certificate. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I do have a Chinese you know, name. Uh, okay. What's the Chinese yeah. name? So my, my, my name in Mandarin is Fu Yu Chao. Um, wow. It used to be Fu Jia Yu. And so for a number of reasons, my, my parents changed it uh, to make me more assertive. Um, 
because basically, and this is actually a fun tangent, uh, in, in Chinese culture or Taiwanese culture, where my parents are from, uh, they believe that uh, each character has um, a specific aspect of a characteristic of a person like it adds to your personality and the more you say it the more it, it, it adds to their personality so for instance i have a i have a cousin whose name is pin zu and so pin means knowledgeable and zu means good character and so these are the two things that my you know his parents wanted him to emphasize and so for me yeah so that is the name so the original name was like a phonetic approximation so as you can see fu jari and and Jerry, you know, kind of makes sense, but <laughs> but uh, but but uh, it doesn't necessarily line up for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just how my parents decided to. Because so, yeah, you know, you know, you know, when you say Jerry, the first thing people will think about is the Tom and Jerry, you know, the mouse. Yeah, so. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just for fun, right? I mean, it's not just yeah. that, it's also Ben and Jerry, like the ice cream, right? So yeah. I get a lot of that too. Yeah. And uh, in fact, yeah. just for fun, I actually had a, a pharmacy school class named Ben and we joked about uh, creating, a, a, going into business together and being and saying something like Ben and Jerry's independent <laughs> pharmacy or something like that. So, so they, yeah, it's they, a lot of fun. There's Tom and Jerry and then there's Ben and Jerry, so. Yep, yep, <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of the territory for sure. <laughs> Well, well, thank you very much, Jerry. I really uh, wonderful listening to your talk, and uh, I wish you all the best for your future, you know, coaching mm -hmm. business. I Thanks. hope you get some. I hope you get some clients from this podcast, and uh, I will put all your details in the description box. So, uh, thank you, and uh, thank you also for listening to this episode. If anybody wants to contact Jerry for his coaching services, I will provide the links in the description box. And uh, I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you. Right. See you next time.